been around for a long time, probably about 100 years, if I remember right. And the, the fellow that wrote it, it always amazes me that the guy that wrote this wrote it in the midst of, of losing um, all four of his daughters. You know, he, he was a wealthy lawyer, uh, and he, he had sent his, his wife and his daughters on a ship over to Europe. They were going to go over there for a vacation, and, and that uh, there was a terrible accident. His wife survived, but he lost all four of his daughters, and he, um, of course, boarded, boarded a boat to go over and, and deal with the situation. And uh, as he was sitting there on the deck of that boat, he, he wrote those words, you know, when sorrows like sea billows roll, and the fact that he could write that it's well with my soul because he, he trusted the Lord with the situation. He knew that uh, in spite of how horrible it seemed that, that God was in control. And so um, I'm actually having to get this song ready for, for a funeral for um, my brother-in-law's mother who's been battling lung cancer for about 10 years. And so this song's been on my heart lately. And let's sing it together. Um, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attended my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my Lord Thou hast taught. that last verse one more time
you guys can sing that in your heart and mean that. Amen. Well, you got to go back to work now, don't you? <laughs> well, good morning, church. How are you? Glad that you're here. What a what a good crowd. I uh, I'm always blessed to see how God is blessing our early service, first service, you early birds, and I'm glad that you're here. I want you to take your Bible this morning, and I want you to turn with me back to Romans chapter 5, okay? Everybody take their Bible, and let me encourage you each week to bring your Bible with you. You need to do that so we can study it. We're in a discussion, a little bit of a journey, on how we can have peace in a world of hurt, and uh, if there's one thing we need today is some peace. Uh, we need it to, uh, to, to live with some of the challenges. The challenge is this, though. We, we have to have a correct understanding of it. And I, I mentioned to you last week that peace which so many people seek, that's defined as absence of problems or absence of pain, uh, can only come when we have a correct theological understanding of our relationship with Christ. Peace is birthed out of a relationship with Christ, first of all, because we have some beautiful benefits. We talked a little bit about that last week. I'm going to review that for a moment this morning. But not just that. Peace can be realized because when you come to know Christ, at that moment, he becomes in charge of everything in your life. Everything has to come through his filter. Therefore, nothing hits you that hasn't first come through the providence and the will of God. And in the course of that, in shaking out, sometimes very painful, in the course of that, we know that it is ultimately for our good and for his glory, okay? Now, we touched on last week some of the benefits of justification by faith. I, let, me, let me review for a moment. First of all, I said that we have peace with God. That's incredible to me, that he accepts us that he removes his wrath from us, and that we as believers are reconciled to him. It's a peace that comes from the relationship initiated by him to those who are the elect. Secondly, I mentioned to you that we have immediate access into his presence. We can run to the Father. We can say anything to the Father anytime, anywhere, about anything. Charles Spurgeon, a wonderful Baptist English preacher of years gone by, once said that asking is the rule of the kingdom. And then the third thing we talked about last week is this, that we have the hope of God, which means that we have security now, and we have security for all of eternity, and that allows us to exalt him, which we talked about that word meaning worship him. And I, I, I kind of closed out, I think, last week with, with these words that all of those benefits deal with our standing before God, that he looks at us as complete, that he looks at us as perfect, that when he sees us, he doesn't see us, he sees his son, and his son is perfect. And I'm glad to know that. You ought to be glad to know that when Christ looks at you, he doesn't evaluate you based upon your good deeds or scold you based upon your bad deeds. Your standing before God is complete because he sees his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, now, 
Today, we want to shift a little bit. We want to move from our standing to our state. And what I want you to understand is that your standing is complete, but your state is ever-changing as God allows events and experiences into our lives to help prepare us for eternity. These events and circumstances could waylay us if we didn't understand that we were justified by God through our faith and his grace. God is at peace with us, okay? Well, let's take our Bibles, Romans 5. Romans 5, I want us to read verses 1 through 11 again and then share with you what God laid on my heart, okay? Would you stand with me in honor of God's word, Romans 5, beginning verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt, and here's where the shift comes, not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man some would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies who were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Notice reconciliation is used three times, and it's a word which means enemies now have become friends. We were enemies of God, but because of his initiation, his interrupting himself into our lives, now he becomes our friend. It's an amazing thing for Tom to be considered a friend of God if you know my life, and I'm not going to show you a video it's amazing that God would allow me to be his friend. And it's only through the blood that that is allowed. Well, let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you, God, for saving me. God, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me from all sin. Thank you because when I get right theologically and I have a complete understanding of the theological basis of peace, I can live knowing that nothing ever happens to me that doesn't first come through you and it's ultimately for my good and I thank you for that pray God you'll help our study this morning that it'll be beneficial and helpful as we try to figure out how to live on this side of heaven in Jesus name 
Amen. All right, thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bible open if you would. I, uh, we're going to be looking beginning uh, verse 3 in just a moment. Before us, what we have, at least in my mind, we have kind of a chain of maturity. Okay, uh, uh, actually chapter 6, 7, and 8 are chapters in Romans that deal with sanctification. Paul kind of introduces it right here in, 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 in verse 5 and following. And it's the idea that, that this leads to this, and this leads to that, and this leads to that. And through that, God begins to change our life, uh, grow up our lives, until ultimately we enter the very presence of God when there'll be ultimate sanctification, okay? These, uh, these words we're going to look at in a moment are kind of, they're, kind of, they're like uh, links to a chain. They're kind of interlocked one to the other. You can't have one without this, 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 and that's what he's going to be talking about, okay? I want to read you something that, that someone wrote that I read this week. It said that when you're in a relationship with God, everything changes, even your tribulations. And I want you to think about that for a moment. When you're in a relationship with God, everything in your life, everything in your life, all the imperfections that seem to hit you, all of the mistakes that you seem to make and, for me, keep making over and over again, when you're in a relationship with God, everything changes, okay? Now, I want to, before we look at the words, I want to point out a couple words that I think are important, okay? And the word hope, I think, is important here. If you look at verse 2 and then verse 4 and 5, we find the word hope, okay? Now, to me, it was kind of interesting. Paul mentions it in our standing, and now he under mentions it also in our state. That changes as life changes, okay? The Bible word for hope is not a desire. It's not a wish. But it's a confidence that God gives to us that he is in total control of every facet of our life. Hebrews 6.19 is an incredible verse. It says, the hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope that is sure, a hope that is steadfast. What's an anchor? Well, if you've ever been on a boat or ever owned a boat and you're out, say, fishing and and the current's pushing you, or if you're out in the ocean and the, the wind is pushing you, what does an anchor do? Well, you let down the anchor, and it makes you stable, doesn't it? It makes you steady. In fact, it, it stabilizes you. It makes you firm when you're pushed. And the Bible tells us that biblical hope, understanding who you are in Christ, and understanding what Christ is doing in your life, every experience of your life, that is the anchor that you have. Years ago, when, when Jeff and Amy were uh, trying to have children, and uh, they called us, and gosh, we were, you know, we were so excited for them. Uh, uh, you, you, you know, you, you want grandkids, you know, of course, grandparents would like to have about 100 of them, as long as you don't have to feed them. And, uh, but anyway, they'd been trying for a while, and it seemed to be not happening as quick as they thought it would, and they called and, and said that, um, that Amy was going to have a baby. And I remember us just rejoicing and, you know, wondering what this thing was going to look like. We were hoping he or she looked like Amy, not Jeff. And, uh, and so we just, you know, we were on cloud nine. And then, uh few weeks later, they called, said that the baby uh, had died and uh, wasn't to be. And I remember the crash, you know, uh, 
it's good to know that we knew who we were in Christ. Because when this changing state hits you, and the experiences that God brings in your life hits you, then, then you have to have some kind of foundation. And I just remember us gathering up on the bed and us, Paul and I, crawling up in bed together and, and crying uh, because we wanted them to have what their dream was. And, uh, and, and that's kind of what the word hope means. It's an anchor. You've got to have something, a stake. You see, gang, when life and as God brings you through, you got to first know that you're firm from God's perspective, that he's your friend, but you got to have some kind of a stake or some kind of anchor that you hold to. And the Bible describes that as the word hope, okay? The second word I think is important is the word exalt. We find it three times, and it's kind of bookends. If you'll, if you, I don't know if you noticed when we were re- reading, but it's kind of the bookends of Paul's teaching on the benefits of justification by faith. The word exalt, if you remember, I mentioned last week, is a word for jubilation. It's a word for celebration. And it is an idea that when we brag and when we boast, we don't brag and we don't boast on ourselves and our own goodness, our own worthiness, but we brag and we boast on Jesus. We, we worship Christ. Verse 2, we, we, we exalt in his hope. Verse 4, we, if you can get your head around it, we exalt or we worship in tribulation. That's what he's going to tell us. That's what he's going to teach us. That we worship him when there's pain in our life. Does that kind of tell you maybe that worship is really not always about music? Or maybe it's not always about style, or it's not always about what kind of song or who's singing that. Maybe that maybe worship is something much larger than what most of us think. Huh? And I'm gonna at the end of my message, I'm gonna I read you a few words that Job expressed. You see, we get so caught up, I think, in, in things down here. And we, we, we define our, our, our worship through what we're uh, experiencing sometimes in the area of music when it's much more than that, okay? And so the word exalt, it means we, we're bragging, bragging on him. Verse 11 says that we worship in God because of his reconciliation toward us. Here's what I can tell you with confidence. Regard, and I don't know how you have a quiet time. I don't even know if you have a quiet time. But you should. Here's what I want you to know. You can have an incredible time of worship. Just sitting and thinking and reflecting upon the fact that God, through his grace, reconciled you to him Christ. I don't need Stu singing. I enjoy Stu singing. I don't, I don't need Cheris singing. I love to hear her sing or, or Debbie or, or some of the others. I love that. Don't misunderstand. What I'm telling you is this, 
that when you fasten your heart upon the fact that God, through sovereign grace, took your heart that was bent away from him and broke your heart and bent your, your will to him, and he floods you with the knowledge that now when you are an enemy, now you are a friend, it will radically alter and change your life. And the fact that you can't do anything to mess it up. I mean, what was true the moment it became real for you is true tomorrow when you think something or do something or say something or make some kind of decision that you may not should make. You're still a friend with him because of him, not because of you. That's worship, okay? Now, let's take apart some of the words. Look, beginning verse 3, okay? Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulation. You ought to circle that word tribulation. Now, it's translated different ways. It's used over 43 times in the New Testament. Most of the time when it's used, it's a word for pressure. In fact, the word is used to speak of the squeezing of, of grapes for juice or the squeezing of olives for oil, okay? Sometimes in the Bible, it's translated affliction. Uh, some commentators like to use the word suffering. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? That Paul would say, I exalt, I worship in my suffering. I want to submit to you, that's not a natural thing to rejoice in pain. And I don't think that's what he means that, you know, oh, I just broke my leg. Praise God, glory, hallelujah. I don't think he's saying that at all. He's saying that if you broke your leg, you know that there is a God behind that that allowed it for something ultimately that's going to work good in your life. And that's the culmination of the pain that he allows in our life. So it's got to be some way of, of being supernatural. And the only way that can happen, beloved, is to know that you're justified by faith while God is working things out in your life. R.C. Sproul, who I think is just a wonderful commentator, said that tribulation builds muscle to the soul, okay? Now, why do the tribulations come? You know, there's a lot of different reasons. It could be that there's a correction going on in your life, that God allows tribulation to get you back on the correct path. Maybe you've been obstinate, or maybe you've been impatient, or whatever. Sometimes God will allow tribulation in your life because you've strayed off the path a little bit and because you're his child justified by faith and because that he now owns you and he only allows things in your life that he chooses. Maybe he's trying to correct you a little bit. So he's trying to uh, redirect some things in your life. That's called corrective tribulation. And maybe that's what's going on. Maybe it's constructive tribulation. Maybe there's some things in your character that he's wanting to change. Maybe he's trying to whittle away some areas of integrity in your life. And so then he begins to constructively build our character. And maybe that's why you're going through some of the things that you're going through. It could be that it just glorifies the Father as others see how you handle the tribulation. There's a, a validation of it. They, we look at Daryl and some of the things Daryl goes through perhaps and we, we see, oh my goodness, what a God. And so he is validated, but God is validated because God is, is, is allowing this so that others can see Jesus 
in our lives. I've always said, gang, pressure makes you do weird things, you know. Sometimes when we handle pressure right, others say, you know, there's something different about old Daryl. Whatever he's got, I don't have. Whatever he's got, I sure would like. I'd be interested in knowing what makes him dance to that drummer. And so sometimes that could be what's going on. It could be this, that you may not even know in this life what God's plans for tribulation are. His ways are higher than ours, and it just could be for some reason. I think in First Peter, there's the gift of suffering that he allows, and there's just some things that, that uh, you may not know in this life why, but God just does it, and when you get to glory, you'll find out why. I, my mother, for all those years of Alzheimer's, I never could fully get my head around all that. Sweetest Christian lady I've ever known. And, uh, you know, I could understand me. Uh, I could even understand my dad getting it, you know. But my mother, I never did quite fully understand all that. You know, I saw some things and along the way. But the fact of the matter is, I, I think God's ways are above our ways. And God just has bigger p- purposes. And, and it may not be till we get to, to glory that it all comes. This is what I, is what I do know, that since you are justified by faith through grace it's designed by the father for a good outcome and frankly that's the only way that you can worship in your pain okay and by the way this is not this worshiping in pain this rejoicing in your tribulation is not a passive resignation you you need to it's not you just throw up your hands and say well i just it is what it is no it's an active worship. It's, it's grabbing hold of the pressure point in your life, actively exalting God, knowing that God is in charge. Okay? All right. What does it produce? Well, if you'll notice the verses, it produces tenacity, perseverance, endurance. The word actually means to stand under or hold up under. It means that that with all of the pressure coming down, you're holding up, you're enduring underneath it in a way that brings honor to God. From time to time, I'll I'll get a phone call or I'll get an email from some of our people and some of the things they're undergoing, and they'll 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 say, you know, pray for me, and I, of course I'll do that. Why do you think what? And I find myself so weak at times. Uh, because frankly, I, I don't know why we go through all we go through. And about the only thing I can say to them, and I seem to be saying it an awful lot because I seem to have very little answers to life's questions, is uh, hang in there. You know, hang in there. That's what this word means. Stay steady. Don't quit. I might would add from time to time, you know, there's no accidents for, for us as believers. Hold tight to your faith. That's what this word is. We, we rejoice in tribulation because the first thing it produces is perseverance. And I want to tell you, I think one of the hallmarks of being a follower of Jesus Christ is that we stick with it when the going gets tough. Perseverance of the saints is one of the foundational doctrines that we believe. Those who are justified by faith alone, through grace alone, by Christ alone, according to the word of God alone, for the glory of God alone. Don't quit when it gets tough. We may cry a lot. We may run to others and just want to 
take our head and lay it on their, on their lap. We, we, we may want to cry to have someone walk along with us, but the fact of the matter is believers in Jesus Christ don't quit. Perseverance of the saints is one of the most beautiful doctrines that we have, that we hold tight to, and that's called tenacity. You don't quit. You may want to quit. You may feel like quitting, but you're, you've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. You don't quit. You can't quit. Tenacity. The next word is quality. Notice he uses the word proven character, okay? Let me tell you what this means. It means as the pressure is placed upon you, and even as it increases upon you, and as you endure, it means that the quality of your faith will be shown as genuine, as real, as acceptable. In fact, that shows that you're real, that it's happened, that God is at work in your life. And beloved, I believe this, genuine faith can only be shown when there's a fire, when the fire tests it. Because the fire proves it, and the fire removes the imperfections in our character, and we all have them, don't we? One said, if, if your faith fizzles in the furnace, it was faulty from the first. Say that fast three times. If your faith fizzles in the furnace, you were faulty from the first. If your faith fizzles, that's enough. It's the way it is, okay? Paul uses this word in a negative sense in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Here's what he says. He said, I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I won't be, and here's the word, I won't be disqualified. It's the same word used in a negative sense. Paul said this, I want to live my life in a genuine way all the way to my death. I like that. He said, I want my character proven all the way to the very end. And beloved, I like that. I, I've told from time to time when I'm meeting with younger guys that life is different when you get to be an old guy. There's a lot of things, right, old men, uh, that changes. I mean, for some reason, your chest is dropped and it won't go back up, you know. All things change when you start getting older. But I remember when when God turned me on and I sat, listened to Brother Step preach over and over and regularly Brother Step would say to me and say to our church, he would say, at the end of the road, I want to go out with my preaching boots on and my head held high. Then he would add, I don't know when that is. And I don't know if it's next year. I don't know if it's five years. I don't know if it's 10 years. But he said, I want to go out with my preaching boots on to the glory of God, and I want to go out with my head held high. And I didn't understand that. Man, I was 35 years old. The world was at, at, in front of me, and all I could think of at that time, I was in the oil field and sales. All I could think of was setting the world on fire, selling drilling rigs, you know. And, and I didn't understand wheeling and dealing and running and gunning, and I didn't understand what he was saying. And I would, in my mind, I would laugh a little bit. I'm thinking, you know, that's so silly, you know. Well, I'm going to tell you, when you get close to signing up in three months, I'll be signing up for Medicare. When you get close to signing up for Medicare, 
everything changes. And the words of my pastor have stayed on my heart over and over again. Oh, dear God, I want to go out with my preaching boots on. And I want to go out with my head held high. God, don't let me do something silly. I want to be genuine. I want to be real. I want to be who I am so that you'll be glorified in whatever way you choose to take me out as long as it's honorable. And beloved, let me just tell you, you know this, but let me tell you, you can't be complete without pressure. And you can't have quality until you hold up under that pressure, no matter how hot it may be at times, okay? Now, the last link is the word security. It's the word hope or assurance. It falls back where he started. The outcome of our state as we go through life challenges, life's challenges and pressure cookers is just what we started with with God when he was pleased to declare us justified. And that is confidence in God. And that's where our worship must be directed. And notice he says in verse 5, the hope never disappoints because the love of God is poured out in abundance in our hearts toward us. Notice he said our hearts. He didn't talk about the outer man that's being buffeted and going through the fires. He's talking about that inner part, the anchor of the soul, knowing that we are his by grace because of the cross, which was the instrument that God used to demonstrate his love toward us. By the way, one, one of the marks, I, I mentioned about the doctrine and perseverance of the saints, which I think is an incredible uh, foundational doctrine of our belief. Let me tell you, another belief that you know that you're saved is that God's love is flooding into your heart. Those that are not saved may have some conviction from time to time and, and, and may have a, have a little bit of uh, conviction that they've done something wrong, but they don't have this consuming love of God poured out into the heart. The Holy Spirit does that, you see. How do you know that you're saved? Because God's love is poured out in my heart. And what I do, I do because he first loved me. That's why relationship with God changes everything, even the tribulations that you go through. This week in my quiet time, I was reading some in Job. Uh, and I don't know how often you read Job. Sometimes we talk about the patience of Job and the problems of Job. It's an incredible story of a guy who went through a very real challenge. Early on, when tribulation hit, the Bible says this that he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and the Bible says he worshiped God. I want you to think for a moment, the worst experience you've ever had in your life could be the loss of a parent, could be the loss of a child, how, how difficult Maybe something didn't happen that you thought was about to happen. I don't know. But let me ask you, if, you can, if your mind will go there, what did you do? Did you worship God? He fell on his face 
and he worshiped God. That's why last week I, I said to you that, that I think that real worship has to be a theological expression of your heart. You have to understand what it means to be moved from an enemy to a friend all based upon God's direction to us. Or you can't worship when pain, especially the pain that Job went through, hits. He said, naked I came, naked I go. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's easy I've learned to praise God when it's all going my way. It's not quite as easy to praise God when it's not going my way. And if I didn't have a theological foundation upon which to express my worship, I'm not sure I could worship right, see? And that's basically what Paul tells us at the beginning of chapter 5. How many of you have ever heard of um, Alistair Begg? Anybody ever heard of Alistair Begg? I'm going to tell you, um, he's probably, uh, David Jeremiah and Alistair Begg are probably the two greatest preachers, and Don, the, the, the three greatest preachers in our country today, okay? Um, anytime you have an opportunity to listen to Alistair Begg, I would say to you, you really need to do that. And what he does, and you can actually sign up for his um, morning devotions, and what he does a lot of times, he'll take something that Spurgeon has written, and then he'll kind of change it or adapt it a little bit to fit what he wants to say. This week I, I printed off something he wrote. It really had nothing to do with what I spoke about, but the last part does. And here's what he wrote. Fight on, for God himself is with you. Jehovah Nisi is your banner. Jehovah Rafi is the healer of your wounds. Do not fear. You will overcome, for who can defeat omnipotence? Fight on, looking to Jesus. Although the conflict is long and tough, The victory will be sweet. The reward will be glorious. And then he throws out this little poem. From strength to strength go on. Wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down. And win the well-fought day. If you know Christ, if you understand the significance of the cross... If you understand how because of the cross of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, it was God that took the initiative to come to you and claim you to himself and reconcile you to him. Not so much me to him, but him to me. That's what blows my mind here. It's at that point that even in the hottest of tribulation, the pressure that purifies me, even as hot as it may be, And as painful as it may be, like Job, we can fall down and we can worship him. And there has to be a theological basis of that. Because your emotions and your passions and the people in your life and the circumstances in your life will simply not allow that to happen. Okay?
Well, I want to move for the next couple of weeks from here to the book of Philippians. We'll start talking about people. I'm sure I'm going to answer all of your problems about the people that are pains in your life. Uh, and that we'll also talk a little bit about circumstance as well. Okay? I think it'll be worthy of the next two weeks for you coming. All right, let's pray together. Barbara's going to come for just a moment, okay?